You are listening to Pass the Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 5. This week, I have a great show for you, beginning with a trip exploring the floating allotments of Xochimilco, the so-called Venice of the Aztec Empire. Next, we'll crash the wedding of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera and find out which was their wedding menu. And last, we'll plunge into the smoky world of tobacco, one of the few non-edible Mexican plants that has accompanied meals for over 3,000 years. You're listening to Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, this is Mexican food magazine, the tastiest combo to guide you into the kitchens, markets, streets and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food historian, cook and author. You can find more information about this project at pazdechipotle.com. Find the show on Twitter as Chipotle Podcast. Well, we have places to go and parties to crash, so let's get on with the show. Nowadays, a popular tourist attraction located south of Mexico City is Xochimilco, the last remaining part of an extensive system of interconnected lakes, swamps and marshlands. A typical trip to Xochimilco involves sailing the busy canals on board of colorful boats called trajineras. These boats have been specially adapted with a roof, tables and chairs to accommodate travelers as the punter masterfully moves the trajinera along Xochimilco's canals. It is no surprise to see on board of these vessels mariachi bands, trios playing polkas, marimba players and other traditional music bands, as groups of friends, families and couples enjoy this very unique live soundtrack. The canals spread for over a hundred miles, but just a fraction are open to public punting. On each side of the canals, there are hundreds of artificial floating allotments delimited by thousands of juniper trees. These allotments date back to pre-Columbian times, as the Mexica people who settled in that region created their own self-sufficient agricultural system. But we'll get back to that later. For now, let's focus on our trip. The whole Xochimilco experience involves drinking and eating on board of trajineras, as smaller boats with floating food stalls come and go offering all sorts of treats that go from fritters, candied apples, candy floss, tamales, pulque, which is an alcoholic drink made with fermented agave sap, and many women also sell ready-made dishes like mole, cactus salad, consommés, barbecued meats, roasted chicken, stuffed chiles, gorditas, quesadillas, and side dishes like rice, beans, fresh cheese, and plenty of corn tortillas for hungry visitors to tuck in while they sing, laugh, and even dance on board of the dozens of trajineras that never seem to stop moving. 
Frida Kahlo famously enjoyed frequent visits to Xochimilco, where she and her friends enjoyed many picnics and delighted in the intensely green surroundings. Okay, now let's go beyond the tourist postcards and find out why Xochimilco and the other interconnected lakes were so important for the indigenous population of these valleys in pre-Columbian times. The earliest records of human presence in this area date back to nearly 7,000 years ago, but actual urban settlements appeared until 1322 when nomad tribes, following the prophecies of their priests, found the sign they long waited to see. An eagle devouring a snake on top of a nopal or cactus at the center of a lake. That was the sign that indicated they had finally arrived to the promised land, where they could finally find an abundance of food, a safe and fertile place where they could finally settle and put an end to centuries of incessant migration, which started back in the 6th century. The prophecy, as told to the priests by no other than Huitzilopochtli, the god of war, said that when the time came, they will see an eagle eating a snake at the center of a lake. And that was the place where they should settle and build the most beautiful city. And it became the capital of no other than the mighty Aztec Empire. Things looked bright for the Mexica, who only had to solve the small issue of food security. As we know, an empire is only as powerful as its ability to ensure enough food for its population. And so, an epic indigenous agriculture engineering project slowly created an artificial landscape of thousands of floating allotments anchored to the bottom of the lake with the help of strong juniper trees. On top of the platforms, they created shallow beds on which they were able to grow corn, beans, chiles and other vegetables. The rich biodiversity of the lake's ecosystem allowed them to benefit from it and farm fish, insects and amphibians, as well as hunt birds and dogs. But the ever-growing population of Texcoco needed to ensure larger supplies of food, and so the Aztecs seized control of the interconnected lakes, including Xochimilco by means of aggressive military campaigns. You might not be aware that spirulina, this green and smelly superfood, which can now be found on the shelves of every posh healthy food shop and hipster juice bars, was another food largely farmed in Texcoco and Xochimilco. The liquid latl, as it was called, was all drained and wet in markets. It was often added to salsas, mixed with stews, and even used as a seasoning. And just in case you were wondering what liquid latte means, it actually translates as rocks poo. Nowadays, Xochimilco attracts many tourists, which enjoy a very unique day out, away from the incessant rat race of the city. It is well worth exploring as you can also visit the many greenhouses that still produce flowers and many edible herbs. And of course, you can't miss the delicious food that is a crucial part of the experience. On a final note of this segment, 
Let me tell you what happened to this lake system. After the arrival of Spanish conquistadors in 1521, Cortés decided to destroy the whole of Tenochtitlan, which was the name of the capital of the Aztec Empire, and the surrounding citadels on the other nearby lakes. After that, in his infinite wisdom, he commissioned engineers to drain the lakes, import earth and build the city of Mexico on top of this muddy mess. As a result, this decision brought severe ecological consequences. If any of you has ever been to Mexico City or planning to go, please pay special attention to the historical buildings in the center, as many of them are leaning on one side or partially sunken, and this is due to the thick, unstable soil layer upon they were built, which is where the body of water was, and it had never quite become completely solid. But more importantly, the desiccation of most of these lakes meant that since colonial times, the city of Mexico was doomed to forever rely on a permanent supply of fresh produce and water to survive. Well, now that you know this historical passage, go forth and eat spirulina like you mean it. Who knows, it might as well awaken the Aztec warrior in you. We will continue with the show after this message. Hungry for more? Get your digital copy of Sabor, This is Mexican Food, a quarterly digital magazine dedicated to the exploration of Mexico's gastronomic heritage and traditions. The spring issue includes six full in-depth articles exploring the origins of Mexican traditional food, its staple ingredients and flavors that define it, and five delicious recipes to get you started into the wonderful world of Mexican cooking. Purchase your digital copy now and enjoy it in all your devices. Go to pasdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. A colorfully dressed woman with a tiny frame walks down the streets of Coyoacán, Mexico. She carries huge baskets packed with courgette blossoms, herbs, tortillas, flowers, fruits, and bread. Everyone knows her name. They greet her cheerfully, and she smiles and makes small talk. Struggling her way back, she gets home and starts cooking a delicious lunch she will then take to her husband at work. It might surprise you that this woman I'm talking about is none other than Magdalena Carmen Frieda Kahlo y Calderón, but you might know her just as Frida Kahlo. Perhaps the most recognized Mexican and even Latin American female artist of all time. Her unique and powerful painting style, fed by her personal narrative, crafted a new visual language that broke every protocol and convention at the time. Frida 
was the third of four children in the Carlo Calderon marriage. Her father, Carl Wilhelm Carlo Kaufmann, was a well-established German photographer in the city of Mexico. Since her infancy, Frida showed a big interest in painting and photography and went on to study at the Fine Arts Academy of San Carlos. At the young age of 18, she suffered a tram accident, which caused her irremediable damage in her womb and left her with many permanent and painful injuries for the rest of her life and unable to have children. These challenges just added up to her pre-existing condition of having problems on her left leg due to the polio she contracted as a child. But that never stopped Frida from pursuing her dreams, which came in the form of art and painting specifically. Once she entered the Academy of San Carlos, she was assigned a tutor, and it was none other than the renowned muralist Diego Rivera, who had a history as a womanizer, passionate activist of proletarian rights, and avid collector of pre-Columbian art. In spite of him being married to Guadalupe Marin, with whom he had two daughters, and maintaining a relationship with two mistresses, Frida and Diego started a torrid affair that ended in his divorce of Guadalupe and subsequent engagement to Frida, who was 22 at the time, while he was 42. They both had very strong personalities, volatile temper, and a blinding passion for each other, which was the perfect combination for... Um, a particularly complex marriage. But for once, let's not focus on the drama and travel back in time to August the 21st of 1921, the date when Diego and Frida finally tied the knot, uh, for the first time, at the town hall of the borough of Coyoacán in Mexico City. In spite of the extensive media coverage that followed the famous couple, they had a simple civil ceremony accompanied by close friends and relatives. The reception took place at the rooftop of the apartment building where the famous photographer Tina Modotti and close friend of the couple offered a feast in honor of the newlyweds. Hundreds of cut-out paper bunting cheerfully flew over the many tables where enormous clay pots filled with delicious dishes awaited the many guests. The menu was inspired on working-class festive meals, except perhaps for the lavish scallop soup. But there was pozole, which is a traditional soup made with corn kernels and meat, followed by Mexican rice, fried plantain, beans, beans and cheese stuffed chiles, tostadas, which are crisp tortillas topped with either pickled pig trotters or shredded chicken, lettuce and avocado and also they served a delicious black mole from Oaxaca. The newlyweds and the merry guests enjoyed copies of glasses of beer, tequila, and curados of pulque, and of course, many slices of cake. The reception was such a success that the party went on until the following day, when the happy couple left Tina Modotti's house to go on to their honeymoon to the beautiful city of Cuernavaca, where Diego was commissioned a set of murals to decorate the former palace and house of the conquistador Hernán Cortés. Food always played an important role in the domestic life of the Rivera Carlo house. They were both very social, and Frida learned to cook traditional Mexican dishes, 
and took special pride in presenting them at the many meals and dinners they offered to their friends and acquaintances. If there is one book you must check, should you be interested in learning what Frida ate and cooked, that is Frida's Fiestas, Recipes and Reminiscence of Life with Frida Kahlo, which is based on the memories of Guadalupe Rivera Marin, one of Diego Rivera's daughters, with whom Frida had a warm and loving relationship. Don't worry, I'll set up the link on the episode's post on my website. But for now, let's hold on to the happy memories of that sunny summer day when one of the most influential artistic couples of Mexico sealed their destiny and rejoiced in the sheer joy of each other's love. We will continue with the last segment of the show after this short message. The production of Paz de Chipotle requires hours of hard work and dedication to bring you an interesting and refreshing show. So, to keep this exciting project alive, I need your support. Independent creators like myself bring diversity, empowerment and opportunities to enrich our global cultural exchange, which is why the support of audiences with a passion for knowledge, creativity and entrepreneurship is essential. You can support this podcast by making a monthly donation on this show's page on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast. By helping this show grow, you will also get great rewards, such as access to exclusive posts, transcripts of the show, delicious recipes, and the chance to choose which topics you would like to hear in future episodes. Go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast and select the type of donation you want to make. Every donation makes a big difference. Go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast and be part of this delicious story. Not everything that happens at the table has to do with eating. Hospitality and diplomacy played a crucial role in the social dynamics of the imperial courts in ancient Mexico. Emperors, governors and priests who offered special banquets for prominent guests used these occasions to negotiate and debate with allies and even enemies, showing and concealing intentions and, above all, reinforcing their leadership. Offering distinct foods or drinks to special guests was a strong statement. In the book General History of the Things of New Spain, written by Fray Bernardino de Sahagún during colonial times, points out that smoking was a well-established social ritual that took place in feasts offered by the Aztec ruling class and this indulgence was often reserved for very special occasions, and tobacco cigars and pipes were accompanied by refreshing drinking chocolate. The dried and burnt tobacco leaves have been used in the Americas for thousands of years, and there is vast evidence of its cultivation in the Aztec Empire, and it was used as an antigen for spiritual and religious purposes, 
although its recreational use was also quite common. Tobacco is native to the Americas, and there is archaeological evidence that its cultivation started almost 3,000 years ago. Non-related primitive crops have been found from North America all the way down to the Andes in South America. Tobacco, or Nicotina tabacum, by its scientific name, was used for centuries by different pre-Columbian tribes for medicinal, religious, and recreational uses, like we said before. Tobacco leaves, or Pisietl in Nahuatl, were also mixed with incense and burned during religious ceremonies, where the gods were presented with foods and other items, such as tobacco, to bring them pleasure and enjoyment. But not only Aztecs used tobacco, many other tribes in Mexico used it in ceremonies and rites. For example, in the state of Puebla, Nahua midwives gently blew tobacco smoke to newborn babies to clean their spirits and protect them from illnesses. While some historians consider that Europeans first came in contact with tobacco until the 1600s, it is well documented that crew members of Christopher Columbus's expedition saw plantations and natives processing and smoking tobacco leaves when they came to America. And they were the ones who first introduced tobacco seeds back in Europe in 1510. And from Spain, it traveled to Portugal with the French ambassador Jean Nicot, who became quite an enthusiast of the medicinal qualities of the plant, was responsible for introducing tobacco to the Medici court. Perhaps the most famous champion of the early tobacco industry was Queen Elizabeth's favorite, Sir Walter Raleigh, who promoted trade in Europe and helped forge large fortunes. During colonial times and well into the late 19th century, Tobacco was key to many regional economies in Mexico, and in spite of not being an edible plant, its cultural and social history has always been intimately connected with gastronomic practices. And not only in Mexico, but many other territories in the Americas, tobacco plantations were hugely profitable. Charles II, for instance, prohibited domestic cultivation of tobacco in England, as it was more profitable for the crown to benefit from the taxation of imports. We are all aware nowadays about the negative consequences that tobacco consumption has in the body. But that doesn't mean we should oversee its historical importance. After all, against all odds, tobacco remains particularly close to the eating habits of many cultures. But casting light upon its cultural history helps us understand their rituals diplomatic practices and hospitality traditions from ancient Mexico and how they had a deep impact in the rest of the world. listening to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, a bi-weekly show dedicated to the exploration of Mexico's delicious gastronomic traditions. Don't miss the next episode, where I'll take you to explore how Mexicans celebrate builders, the religious ceremonies and feasts to thank the people who build the homes we live in, and we'll find out which was that celebrated dream. 
that was so popular amongst Mexican colonial monks and 17th century English Quakers. And finally, I'll introduce you to Mexico's most famous poet, philosopher and cook, who insisted that Aristotle would have been a better thinker had he known how to cook. Drop me a message via email or Twitter. Links and contact details are in the show's description. Support this show on Patreon, the largest platform that connects creators with bright audiences like you. To find more information about the show and Sabor, this is Mexican Food Magazine, go to pasdechipotle.com. Thank you for tuning in, subscribe, rate, and share the show. Goodbye from me, or as we say in Mexico, hasta la próxima, amigos. <laughs>